Hi everyone, it's Nigel back again, and I'm here with Adam. G'day, Nigel. G'day, we're Adam. back. Yeah, we're back. Back and to some more. You're the voice action. That's right. As promised, um, we said that we'd be picking up with our bonus episode. So there we are. That's what we're here to do. Indeed. Um, we've got a great episode lined up, and it comes down to the fact that we said that we had comments from Gaynor to kickstart this. So um, why don't we let Gaynor be the one to talk and introduce? Uh, how this episode comes out. So, Gaynor, I'll just ask, do you have any particular performance of your The Voice that stands out or is there anything about that? Do you know what? The firefight one, which was the last one that he did, and we had Mitch Tambo sing in his dialect and 80,000 people for an amazing cause and John just flying in his yeah. finest. That is what I want to see. That was incredible to be there on the side of that stage. It was the greatest thrill I've ever had. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You know, I didn't we... know it was going to be his last performance you know... because then COVID hit. You know, God, Glenn had 37 gigs lined up. Don't you worry about that. Um, but that size crowd, fabulous production, Paul Dainty did an amazing job with everything staging wise that would that was extraordinary and maybe a moment to just um reflect on the fact that it was actually olivia's last performance with him as well yes yeah yes my darling olivia too yeah it, um, it certainly impresses upon uh, the poignancy of that performance Yep, and last time Glenn marching around like a chook without a head on, yeah. and you know doing his thing, um, yeah. and very proudly on the side of that stage as well. So absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. big yeah. one. But it was still John's actual performance of that. Hmm. He he delivered bucket loads. He always does with your the voice something divine kicks in, but um, that was for me. Yeah. The legacy of that song needs to go to someone. Personally, for me, that is Mitch. It needs to go to another place. And there's another there's another life for that song. Okay, so Gaynor there was obviously speaking about the 2020 Fire Aid Australia concert, which is after the bushfires at the start of 2020. And this is an important gig in the entire journey and story of John Farnham, of course. Being is the fact that this was essentially John Farnham's last live performance to date. And, like, you know, while we can never ever put a full stamp on it, as it stands uh, today, that is the case. And it was also the final hurrah for so many key individuals who played such a big part in the story and journey of John Farnham. Yeah. Got Glenn Wheatley, Nige, of course, <laughs> speaks for himself. Um, so no one knew at the time, but just such a significant show um, for so many reasons. And the last time that, you know, John was on the stage with Glenn watching from the sidelines and, you know, with his paws all over the entire production, obviously, um, and then performing Two Strong Hearts with Olivia Newton-John, obviously the very last time that those two performed on stage together. Yeah. Um, there was also the, a couple of other contributions, wasn't there, Nigel? There was um, Brian May from Queen was there that night as well. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. the other one um, was Mitch Tambo doing his version of You're the Voice tied in with John. 
Yes, which is a really nice leeway into our special bonus episode here yeah. today, uh, featuring an interview with Mitch himself. That's right. Uh, it's great that Mitch has taken up with You're the Voice and um, the legacy of the song lives on in a new way. And uh, we heard in the previous episode the responses from the writers in regards to Mitch's offering of You're the Voice. Very so, complimentary. Yeah. And um, I reached out to Mitch and he happily accepted the invitation to come and talk to us. So um, how about we just get straight into that and for the next... 40 odd minutes we've got the pleasure of listening to the interview that we did uh, with mitch tambo in regards to you're the voice let's do it yummy yama. i'm mitch tambo i'm a proud gamilaray man first nations artist i'm a singer songwriter performer actor presenter another creative soul if you like and you're listening to he's the voice podcast so tune in you mob sit back relax get your popcorn because we're about to dive deep into all things you're the voice and i'm pumped to be here Cheers, mate. Good on you. He's taking it to another level. good how are you guys yeah good and um, nice to meet you Mitch yeah nice to meet you guys too yeah thanks for having me no, no thanks for uh, being part of what we're doing it's been very exciting and to have you as well is just an added bonus for us uh, yeah we really no. appreciate your time as well uh, very much so no thank you so um Adam go for it all right uh Mitch what would you say are your earliest memories of discovering music wow that's a great question isn't it um I mean obviously being a very, very, very young person. I think when I just being in the moment right now, maybe it was like old VCRs of like Michael Jackson and, and that kind of era, funnily enough. Um, grew up in a very musical family, so music was always around. But yeah, I kind of remember just the old worn out VCRs um, <laughs> getting played with the old moonwalk and whatnot. But yeah. Mitch, can you discuss your first experience of either performing live or playing in a band? Yeah, my first experience uh, performing live, I mean, if you take out sort of your uh, end of year primary school presentations, Christmas carols and whatnot, uh, first time performing and I think really feeling the nerves and, and the rush and the adrenaline would probably be around 
maybe 14, 15 when I started to do traditional song and dance. Um, and we went to Moree. Oh, we went to Moree and we did Crockfest. It was a, a First Nations festival that used to come around once a year around September. And uh, you got to showcase your talent there. But, yeah, it would be around that era. I mean, there was a few things we did, but probably the first time I ever did, you know, traditional dance and stuff, uh, maybe in front of at school. Um, the first time I actually really painted up and, and did the whole um, ceremony in front of a whole crowd of people was then maybe yeah, around that era. Yeah, wow. Good yeah. stuff. Now, Mitch, how and when did you first discover an ability for songwriting? Yeah, so it was probably, uh, I'm going to say 2015, around there. Um, basically what happened was I was doing a lot of traditional song and dance shows and people would always ask me if I had music. And one day, one of my good mates, he bought a loop pedal. So if you don't know what a loop pedal is, it's basically what Ed Sheeran does. And he sells out stadiums with this little loop pedal. And you basically lay down a beat and you just keep layering on layering and layering. And my mate bought a loop pedal and he said, Mitch, you should get a loop pedal. You'd be great, brother. And I said, man, what are you talking about? I don't, what do, I don't do anything. And he's like, dude, you beatbox, you play didge. You'd be great. And I said, all right, bro. I'll buy it if you come around the house and you set it up for me. He said, done. So I bought this loop pedal. He come around and set it up. And within seven days, I had written my first EP, uh, Gurmali. And um, it just sort of all spewed out of me. So what I did is I had it set up in this little unit, this loop pedal. I had a cajon, a djembe, clap six boomerangs, didge, and I beatboxed. And um, yeah, literally within seven days, I had that first EP written, which ended up charting all around the world. And um, really sort of started my random career. But even when I'd done that, I still, there was nothing in me that thought, I'm going to go and perform this stuff live and now I'm going to be a singer. The reason why I sung was because I started to play some dig. I thought, no, I'm kind of bored by it. Like, I feel like it's not a reflection of who I am. So I'm, I think I'm going to sing. And I'd never anticipated, it just happened in the moment. So I just beatboxed, did all these things and sung and, um, when I felt like the room was full, like it was just alive with energy and spirit, like I just felt like it was full of my ancestors, I'd just press save and, and keep the tracks. And I ended up getting asked to host, a, I ended up moving out to Uluru. And I worked out there and for about six months and I got bored and I hit my same mate up because I come across these awards called the NEMA Awards, the National Indigenous Music Awards. And I was like, bro, what's this all about? How do I get involved in this? Maybe I got a shot. And um, no one even knew about my music. He was like, I think you need a Triple J Unearthed account. I said, okay, bro, would well, you want to set it up for me? He told me how to do it. And I put a couple of tracks up. Six months later, moved home to host a TV show. I was driving down the highway and started getting all these emails to say, you've been crowned Unearthed Artist of the Week, top five must-hear Indigenous Artist of the Week, FBI Radio uncovered me as an Artist of the Week. And all of a sudden, people wanted to hear me sing live. So... Um, that's kind of where it happened. It's a bit of a long story, but very spontaneous one. I remember a couple of months later, I, I was asked to go to Malaysia to do a um, festival, cultural, traditional dance and stuff over there. And while I was there, I got asked if I would perform my stuff live for this artist called Maccabee, who was this Jamaican guy who went viral over the internet um, for like doing little raps about being a vegan, about like um, cucumber, cucumber and all this stuff. And he was really big. And they asked me to open his show. So I bring my mate on Boxing Day and I uh, said, bro, you told me you used to DJ back in the day. And he's like, yeah, man, that was like when I was 18. What's this? What are you talking about? And I said, these people want me to do stuff live. So I think I need you to remix my songs live 
I'm just going to get up there and just rock out and we're just going to jam and do it. And he was just, he's that kind of mate. I just throw everything at him. He says no, but then in 24 hours later, he'll tell me how we're going to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just started doing it and that was it. That's my journey. That's a great They're good story. people to have in your creative circle. That's oh, for sure. <laughs> and that was me. No, I'm not doing a podcast. No, no, no. And then yeah. I started talking about, but if we were going to do this podcast, this is what we need to be looking at doing. And by the way, so, I think I've just committed to doing a podcast. Yeah. You know, my fifth no turned into a yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, good stuff. Can you talk to us about how you discovered the music of John Farnham? Yeah, look, to be honest, um, you can't escape You're the Voice where I grew up. I don't know if any regional rural town in in this country you, you can escape it. Um, a lot of people are going to be singing that song on a Thursday night down there at karaoke. Um, so that's probably where I discovered John Farnham, I would say, honestly. Or it's going to be at like a, a random rodeo, or it's going to be at the Tamworth Country Music Festival, or mm. it's going to be blared down the street somewhere like it. Yeah, somewhere somewhere like that. I probably discovered it well before karaoke and I was 18. Like I'm talking, yeah, probably just something you couldn't um, escape. Let's put it that way. Well, Mitch, I was six years old when Whispering Jack came out and Your the Voice was released. It was 1986. <laughs> Okay. So uh, that's definitely aging aging myself. I was around the 89 mark. Oh, okay. So you're still an 80s kid, just. Oh, represent the 80s. Don't worry about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's nice that he got in there just at the end. Of it. Just like, you know, just yeah, yeah. at the very the very end of the 80s. That's, that's it. it. That's it. Yeah, and, and like you said, uh, you know, John's music has certainly permeated every inch of Australia. Uh, you, you can't go anywhere and not hear it. And uh, uh, for us who have ears particularly attuned to uh, picking up when John Farnham music plays in shopping yeah. centres or anywhere, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'll happily agree with you, the fact that it's, it's permeated everywhere. Mitch, can you talk about your years performing as a youngster in the lead-up to your recording career? Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, totally. Like, I basically just grew up in Tamworth and fell madly in love with, uh, I suppose, my culture and identity around that sort of 14, 15-year-old mark. And it's not to say that I didn't love my culture before then, but I think there's just something really pivotal about that age bracket. Um, there's a real searching that sort of takes place. It's just, I think that 15-year-old sort of mark, you kind of hit this crossroad. I don't know if it's like the dawn of puberty or, you know, the hormones have kicked in, but I think it's a really pivotal age. And around that time, I just remember just seeing Crobbery and just like, well, that's, i got to do it. That's me. I need to know about this. I, I want in on this. This is like what it did for me and my spirit was just uh, revolutionary for myself personally. And I just feel like this fire was lit inside of me. And so, yeah, I just started to learn and, and really immerse myself in culture. And, you know, I'd be laying awake at night just buzzing with this electric energy, just thinking about, what it was like before anyone else come here and you know what would it be like to to just live off the land and just you know just all these things i was just it was just electrifying for me man long story short yeah we just started dancing we had a little dance troupe and um we danced ourselves all the way around town and peel street and um one thing just led to another but i knew at that point um of 15 that all i wanted to do for the rest of my life um, at that point, was to dance and share culture. That's all I, I. That's all I wanted to do. That that was my my path. I didn't care about anything else. And 
so that's where it kind of all started. That's really interesting. That's uh, good. So, 2019. Mm. How did you decide that you were going to audition for Australia's Got Talent? Yeah. So basically, that year, I think it was that year anyway. I had um, come to the realization that I have anxiety. And um, once I come to that realization, I just said to myself, "Well, we're not going to be controlled by this this voice anymore. This internal dialogue. We're we're done with that. We're not going to live with fear and and this um, voice role playing that creates this anxiety. I don't want to be held captive to this anymore. Once I identified it, I just kind of was like, "Wow, I think I've got anxiety. That's what this is. I've had this all my life." And um, so I decided that year that I would say yes more than I'd say no, and I'd be open to things and I'd be open to grow and you know, life's about living, so to speak. And um, AGT got put on the table and just said, yeah, let's get it. And um, and I just said to myself, you know, whatever happens, who cares? You know, if you go out there and, and you just wreck everything, it's just a, it's a teardrop in the ocean for think, the comparison of life and the life that you've got to live. So let's not let, let's not let, you know, any of that stuff govern where we might end up. Let's just go for it. So I auditioned with my first song, Wallenbar, and... Um, Ended up with Golden Buzzer. I was like, okay, we're doing all right now, but what's next? And um, you're the voice got put on the table. And it's really funny because if I didn't make this commitment to myself and someone's, you know, and this got put on the table, Mitch, you're going to do all the voice. I would have been like, yeah, see you later. Bye. I'm like, every, every person covers this song and it often or not doesn't end up that well. There's not a chance, brother boy here, is going to take that on. But anyway, I was in this uh, situation, so I said, yeah, let's get it. I'm ready. And uh, what really resonated with me was the story of the song, you know, standing up and being a voice against domestic violence. I thought, wow, I never realised that there was something so emotive and purposeful behind this song. And um, I really love it. Let's get it. So I went on um, the journey of obviously translating um, with Arnie Bernadette Duncan and, um, yeah, just I guess for the first time in my life, uh, realizing okay we're, we're going to sort of sing you know there's not going to be a didge and dance so to speak we're actually singing but let's just do it and if, you know what's really funny is that christmas right i'll never forget you're the voice come on the radio and i was pumped up we're going somewhere and i was like, so like we have you know i was just being a bit funny and i remember there was this aunt around and she said this really cruel thing behind my back she was like Oh my god, he's got a terrible voice. Like, and next minute, six months later or whatever, I'm on stage about to do this song in front of the whole country and get a golden buzzer. I just think it's, you just never know what's going to happen. And you know, it wasn't until the day of that performance that I even decided definitively that I would sing in English, because I'd never actually sung in English in front of anyone before. And it's really weird, right? Because I obviously speak fluent English, and I don't speak fluent in my language, but I only ever grew up singing traditional songs and then when I started to write writing in my language so it was really daunting the prospect of singing in English it felt like I'd be really vulnerable but anyway I was like I've come this far let's just do it and um lucky enough it kind of all worked out I love that Mitch I love that st that story regarding uh the golden buzzer as well and then going well what am I going to do next oh I'll choose one of the unofficial Australian anthems and I'll just do my own take on it and we'll uh, we'll hope for the best. <laughs> it was wild. It was wild, but, you know, I'd made that choice that really set me up for the year to, like, let's just be open, you know. Let's be open to possibility. Let's be open to to just living and, um, 
not be so closed, man. And you know, let's let's not be um, governed by this anxiety stuff. Let's just let's have a crack this year. And that and it just led me down that path, you know. And then it obviously builds. Like when we're in the studio, it become really definitive really fast that there's no way I want to do a cover. Because I do not want to do a cover. I need this to have integrity and authenticity to who I am. I need people to feel my ancestors and where I come from. And I also need people to feel the respect that I have for John Farnham and this song. And that become really definitive, like in the first hour. And that kind of set the whole thing up. Yeah. And is that what led you to translate the, the lyrics into your Gamilaray language? Definitely. Because, um, there was no way that I was ever going to sing in English. I mean, like I said, that last minute I decided that I would do, you're the voice trying to, you know, because before that I was like, I'll just dance. When that breakdown happens, I'm just going to dance. But then I'd come so far and I thought, you know, this is, but this is the moment. This is like that moment of reconciliation where by this stage, hopefully in the song, if people are into it and we've survived, we're all going to sing along and we're going to unify. So, I'm just going to step out and believe that I'll carry the note and I won't wreck everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, actually, Mitch, excusing my ignorance, of course, but uh, yeah. the lyrics themselves, were they all, like, um, essentially translated, like, uh, word for word almost, or were there some, like, well, changes made? Yeah, look, what I always say is in all the translations, the essence and integrity of the song remains. Um, you know, to say that anything's 100 proof, it's, like, impossible because, yeah. you know, it, like if you try to do it in Italian or whatever, it's trying to fit another let you know. But the integrity and the essence, and it's as close as it can possibly get. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well and truly. Um, my parents were Dutch, and to translate anything from English to Dutch, you basically have to say the sentence backwards. Exactly. So, so I can really appreciate um, you can't do an actual word-for-word literal translation because it doesn't necessarily make sense but you can translate the meaning the purpose the value the intent um you know those underlying things and this is as close a representation in this language of what you were saying and discussing from that language so yeah totally and there's just also um realization in the process that you know in 10 years' time, I like to believe there's going to be a lot of kids and people coming through that can pull it all apart. And I want them to pull it apart and be like, oh, wow, he was really integral in this. And we've sat there in the studio for like an hour contemplating one word um, when we've worked with songs and really pulled that word apart or it's driven you crazy. What does it really mean? You know, so you can get the right word that really does mean that. Because you can just, especially when a lot of songwriters in English write all these metaphors, but that doesn't, leaf actually means leaf in that metaphor so it's been a really it's been a roller coaster but we've managed to get there every time so it's great mitch what do you think it is about you're the voice mm. that makes it so relevant and meaningful to diverse cultures languages generations etc yeah i think it's uh you know you're the voice try and understand it make a noise and make it clear we're not going to sit in silence we're not going to live in fear i mean there's a there's a lot in those words that um can resonate and mean so many different things to so many different people from all walks of life. That's what I think. Um, it's an incredible song. And look, I'll be honest with you guys. Growing up, it meant nothing to me. Um, it was just a song that everyone covered. But when I, 
I dove in and really read the lyrics and like got into it, it was like, wow, this is this is a song, isn't it? It's powerful. But as a young person um, that's not really from the era and you hear the song covered all the time, you don't really listen to it. You just hear, you're the voice, try and understand it. And you're just like, ugh, again. You know, um, but when you get into it and you understand the purpose behind it, the story and read the lyrics and then go, what does that mean to me? What do I want to say? How do I want to build onto it? All of a sudden you just go, wow, what an incredible, incredible song. And, you know, kinda, it's timeless, that song. So, Mitch, um, I have spent a bit of time and to the best of my ability, I've tried to research a little bit about the Gamilaray language. Okay. And what I was able to find out, thanks to the SBS website here in Australia, and also the Bureau of Statistics website Mm -hmm. for Australia, Mm -hmm. is that in 2006, only 35 speakers of the Gamilaray language were identified, Mm. all mixing Gamilaray and English. Mm. In 2013, the Gamilaray language was noted as an endangered language. Mm. In 2021, the National Census recorded 1,065 people able to speak the Gamilaray language. Mm-hmm. So having that in mind, mm. it's very clear to me that it was such a stroke of genius to convey a message of hope and love to use music and song as a vehicle to translate lyrics into an endangered language that was at risk of being lost forever. Mm. So that through song, this language to be preserved and given new life. And for your performance to represent your endangered language to be given a new voice within the context of a song called You're the Voice. You've become a custodian for your language, for your generation and for many generations to come. Presenting the value in protecting and preserving First Nation languages and cultures across the globe from becoming endangered or extinct. There are some amazing versions of that song. The young lad who's done that, I mean, that is just phenomenal. That's so wonderful that he did that different language version of it. He's fantastic, unbelievable, talented, brilliant, and that he kept the, the chorus in English, which I think was such a clever thing to do because it really combined the, you know, the original ethnic um, people in, in Australia and it combined that with a modern day hit, just yeah. kind of gelled it all together. I mean, it was brilliant, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah. why. So Mitch, having heard that now, um, mm. is there anything you want to say in response to that? Oh, look, I'm just, I'm just humbled and grateful to... You know, I've done the song, but and to be able to sing it with John himself, um, absolutely incredible. But what I will say is the highlight of the journey for myself um, isn't singing in front of 80,000 people. It's being in the studio with Uncle John Farnham and Olivia Newton-John and Chong um, doing the rehearsal before we did the Firefight concert and having John... Um, just embraced me so wholeheartedly. It was almost like a grandfather and Olivia too. But I remember we were about to start and John says to Olivia, he goes, Livy, Livy, 
have you seen his version? And I'm like, oh, please don't do this to me. It's my inside voice. I'm like, no, this isn't going to happen. She's like, no, I haven't. And he goes, chunk, get up on the screen. Get up on the screen. And we sat through it. And I'm just like, oh, no. Anyway, after it, um, they both, you know, gave me some kind words. But John embraced me. He gave me a full-on hug. And he grabbed me and he hugged me. And he just said, you know, this isn't my song anymore. It's our song. And um, I love what you've done with it. And I just remember walking out of that studio just like, wow, man, like, let's not lose this memory. Like, you need to digest this because you've literally just been in the room with two living, breathing icons and icons as in real icons here. And they were the most loving, down-to-earth, just normal people that you could ever meet that just embraced me, you know, this boy from the bush and just gave me all this love and acceptance. And that's what I'll always hold with me forever. And even before we went out um, and did that show, I just stayed away and I was like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be that dude. I'll just stay away and get ready. And they both come separately and approach me. Olivia come over and said, hi, I just want to give you a hug and say, you know, all the best for tonight and just have fun and do your thing. And she went and then John come over and I said, look, John, you know, I, I dance and I, I get right into it. I, I don't want to put you off out there. And he said, mate, don't worry about me. You just get out there and you own it and you just rock it and you just get out there and do your thing. I want you to just have fun. And that's the things that I'll carry with me. It's just what an incredible human beings, absolutely incredible. And I mean, I never obviously got to meet the writers, but to hear the writer or one of the writers of the song um, give me that feedback, it just it just makes me feel really humble and grateful to be on this journey because I'm very aware and conscious that it's not me, it's my ancestors and everything that's come before me um, that gives me this platform and that flows through me when I perform. And that's what made me keep those songs on the loop pedal back in the day when I wrote is because I didn't feel alone in that room. I felt like they had come in through me. Like it was this, this spiritual exchange when you tap into your language. It's something really spiritual and ancestral that just comes in. That is you and it's your identity and it's come before you. And to be able to have, um, you know, done such an iconic song like You're the Voice and be able to... Um, celebrate my ancestry everything that's come before me and have the blessing um of the of the man himself and even now one of the songwriters it's just it doesn't pump me up it just makes me feel really humbled and blessed you know to to just have that blessing because i never really i never wanted to be that dude that did it and then in the background it's kind of like oh this kid just come along and you know and he never had to john never had to he didn't have to put me on that stage for firefight and it still would have been an incredible performance and everyone still would have raved about it and it still would have been what it was, you know, and I know that. I, I know 100% he didn't have to have me on that stage. It meant, you know, it wasn't going to make his career better than it already was or worse or anything. But they reached out and said, Mitch, mate, loves your version. We're going to come jump up and sing a verse. And he's like, this is great, but now I'm peeking out, but let's just do it. Brilliant. Well, Mitch, we're, we're over the moon to be able to bring you some of that insight today with one of the, the, the co-writers of the song. So, yeah. All right. Well, this is just a touching up, up upon a point that you actually brought up before, Mitch, as well. So no other song in John Farnham's catalogue has been covered as much as You're the Voice, and you made specific mention of this as well. And I think that Farnham fans can be very hot or cold on mm. other artists' interpretations, mainly due to John, well, his voice speaks for itself, but also John completely owning the original version and making it his own, all right? So as someone who obviously succeeded 
in expanding the message that the song has to share and making your version your own. Mm-hmm. What, in your view, does a singer need to possess vocally or even spiritually in order to successfully sing You're the Voice? Oh, man, I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Great question, because I think uh, gaining a real understanding, like, it's a great song, um, even if you don't know the message. It's just a great song. And John's vocals are freakish. So you don't have to get deep with it to just go, wow, what a banger. I want that on repeat. But the thing is, is when you do get deep with it and you understand the message or even allow that message to manifest into what it means to you, um, I think then the way in which you deliver it and and would do your interpretation would can be completely different because all of a sudden it becomes personal and, and emotional and you become tied to it, you know. But um, that's all I can really say. <laughs> yeah, nice. But I personally think that you can tell when the person who is singing it is feeling the song, you know, and there's John and yourself and there are some other artists who have done some impressive covers as well. But um, like I said, uh, fans can be very hot and cold. So, <laughs> okay. I did want to just ask a very, very quick question. This is a very personal question as well. Uh, this is just something because, uh, you know, Nigel and I, through the podcasting world, uh, we can be occasionally very technically minded uh, individuals uh, all about the quality of things. Okay. Um, were you aware of some of the, the technical audio difficulties that were going on during that Fire Aid concert that we were just talking about? Were, were you aware, firstly, about that that was happening on the night? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, look, it's no, it's not to discredit the soundies or anyone involved. No. A concert of that magnitude with so many frequencies running, that's put together the way it is. It's not like you're sound checking and you're doing all these things. So, it's just part and parcel with um, what we do. You know, like it happens all the time. Really, things happen all the time. Um, with that. Yeah, I had nothing in my ears. I remember I had these random deep harmonies coming through my ears or someone like in the BVs. I had nothing else before I went out. And I'm just looking at my wife like, what? what's going to happen? And they were just like, you just got to go. And then all of a sudden I had everything. And then you'll see on the live thing, I, I go to sing and there's nothing. And then all of a sudden they, they bring my vocal in. Yes. But it's fine. Like it, it's just, it is what it is. It's a live show. And, you know, when, when I speak to people about it, you know, if I put it on a percentage, it might be like one out of 10 that bring it up, you know, because I, I think it was um, the message that we sent that night was just so much bigger than a oh, couple. Oh. 100%, Mitch, that, that speaks yeah. for itself. I, I was just really, really curious because I was wondering about whether you had to affect or alter your performance based on some of those technical yeah, look know, at challenges. Wild, but you just, um, at that point in time, I think what I knew, like the only way I can describe it is to this day I haven't absorbed what happened. I think to go out in front of 80,000 people and I, and I walk down the catwalk by myself and I dance and, and all that stuff and in that moment, like as a performer, you will look for some eye contact and but it was just too big. Like you just swallowed up in it and um, it was so big that I'll never be able to digest it, a crowd that big. You, you can't actually get that energy and bring it in and go, whoa, that happened. you just like, and I'll never forget, like I come off stage because um, we obviously had Brian May on there from Queen and even Brian, he ran over to me and just yelled at me and he goes, gee, you've got some pipes on you, mate. And he just ran off and you're just like, to this day, it's like, I don't know, it's hard, you can't really, it's how do you take it all in? And even before we went on stage, um, Sony asked me to come up into the corporate box 
And um, I'll never forget, they took us up in the corporate box and it was Queen, We Will Rock You. And I remember the whole stadium just thumping. Boom, 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 boom. And I looked to my wife Leah and I'm like, wow, I'm actually about to go on that stage in like half an hour. And that's Queen. And actually Brian from Queen's about to be on that stage with Olivia Newton-John and John Farnham. Okay. And I remember just like saying, it's too big to even get nervous. Let's just do it. And it's like I could get nervous for a gig with 20 people involved. But with that gig for 80000 it was so big. It was just like, there's no turning back. Let's just do it, you know? That's 100% the best attitude, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Mitch, for any of our listeners who want to learn more about your work, can you discuss your debut album? And I'm sorry, you mentioned the name of the single before. Yeah. And... Um, uh, <laughs> are you going to attempt it? Are you oh, not? I am going to attempt it. Is it... Gurama Lee? That'll, that'll do. Tell me the name of it again. Um, you just say Gurumali. Oh, Gurumali. That's it. Perfect. Gurumali. Yep. Gurumali. And that, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like a call, a call to action to stand strong. And that was the name of my EP. And um, yes, yeah, so what was the question, Nigel? Sorry. Oh, so, uh, yeah. For anyone who's listening, um, yeah. who wants to learn more, can you discuss that? debut album yeah i mean um so that debut album like i said before it just happened in that seven days and i just wrote what really just come out of my um heart and spirit and and every one of those songs has got a story that's uh personal or that's fun and and i've just been really blessed to have had it just serve me really really well it's been wild you know it's been uh number one in all genre charts in malta itunes like at the time it um, when the whole EP went number one, it was over Justin Bieber and, and everyone that was in that particular iTunes all-genre chart. Um, it's, be, it's charted ones and higher placements all through Eastern Europe, um, America, UK, back here. I've had people reach out to me and go, man, this particular song has just served me so well this whole year that I fought breast cancer and I'm just wondering if it's okay if I get your word for love put in my tattoo sleeve or I've had people battling mental illness and suicidal thoughts reach out and just, or um, kids that are severely autistic um, parents reach out and just share with me how the music's um, been medicine for them. And, you know, when you write this music and you sit back and I even sit back now and it feels like it was a lifetime ago, it just blows me away how music transcends and how it connects with other people from all walks of life. Um, and I never really thought that that would, any of that would happen when I wrote my songs. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's all very humbling and just makes me feel just really grateful to be alive and to be on the journey that I'm on because, you know, as you guys know, what we do and, and the space as an artist, it's a real grind and it's a real hustle and it's, it's a real, um, gig that's ran on just nothing but self-belief and love for what you do and to, you know, have successes and to have people come and, whether, you know, and to uh, perform with the likes of John Farnham and all these people and, you know, play stadiums and do all these things. You, you just look back at the end of the year and go, wow, that actually happened, you know, like, wow. And you go, how did we get here? And it it's nothing other than just constant belief. That's all it comes down to, you know. It's like I always say, like, I'm just a kid from the bush that had a single mum that went swimming in the river, ate $2 hot chips from Pluckers Chicken and Chips, Rode his skateboard down Peel Street, loved basketball, hated school, but went to school because I just believed there was more for me, but this wasn't for me. And just kept believing the whole way through. And 
remained open to possibility and just kind of wound up in this position. And it just comes through that that self-belief and just being hungry, I guess. But you look back and go, wow, you know. And and you're here and I'm in this position talking to you guys and you just go, but what's next? I'm pumped, you know. What else can we do here? And, and that's just what we do, I guess. No, thanks so much for that, Mitch. Really, really well articulated there. It was, um, yeah, like, yeah, exceptional, really. And um, what about Mitch Tambo 2023? Can you give us any information about any current projects or activities that are in the pipeline or in yeah. the teasers? Yeah, so I'm about to go on a national, well, not about to. Uh, this year I'll be going on a national tour. Um, so there's this dance company, Burn the Floor. Um, they're an Australian dance company, Ballroom but they predominantly work overseas. So like Broadway, the West End in England and all cruise ships and just all kinds of things around the world. Um, and they're all about breaking the confinements and stereotypes of dance. So at the end of last year, they reached out and were like, I've come across you and we feel like what you're doing with music is what we're about with dance. Could we do a show where you're like the featured artist? I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we got talking and one thing led to another and, come up with this concept of um, Burn the Floor, Wonder Bar, Yuligi, Spirit Dance. So half of the show is like my songs and the other half will be like other crazy interpretations of, of Aussie classics. And um, we're going to tour Australia and then hopefully we'll end up overseas in 2024 doing some cool stuff. But So, yeah, that's that's a massive tour that I'm about to go on and it's going to be an incredible adventure. And my wife will be on that with me as well. She got cast as one of the um, female lead singers in that. So that's crazy. And, yeah, I'm just pumped to just get back on the road. Really want to – we're going to do a Wollombar. It's called after my song, Wollombar, Wollombar Youth Tour. And we're going to travel and hit as many schools and um, youth centres as possible because um, one of the biggest things I'm passionate about is giving back to kids. Um, And certainly not being a role model. I don't know if I like that word, but just being a presence and and being able to share my story through my music and what I've been through. And if that empowers some kids to make some positive choices, then – then wicked, you know, that's great. But I just want to, I want to give back and I, I've always wanted to do that. And it's, it's very much, yes, about giving back to First Nations kids, but all kids, because all kids are going through something. And I believe that through my story, my culture and what I have to share, it's universal and everyone can be in, not inspired, maybe empowered to be proud of who they are and where they come from and, and to just not give up. And I've seen that through my walk in life and in going to schools, you know, that, it really does. You just never know what a kid's going through. I mean, you never know what anyone's going through, but you know, sometimes teachers, they get overworked and burn out and they lose that capacity and they just see a kid mucking up, but don't realize at home, a parent's dying or there's something really going on. And I, I feel like that when we get to travel and we do these things, we get to have those convos with kids and just, you know, have those, just break it open. And I think that's really special and, and important for myself, but also for them too, you know, so I look forward to doing that as well. So Mitch, I'd like to ask, what's the one thing you would like our listeners to take mm. away from listening to our conversation today? I love your questions. Eh? It's probably like the best questions I've been asked. It's like you haven't asked me anything basic. It's really good. Um, what I'd like listeners to take away is I think, you know, now is the time to come together um, and it's the time to just sit and to hear each other's stories and not necessarily point fingers of blame, but just to, to come openly and honestly and tell the truth and the truth of, of this nation. And so we can get to a point of healing and we can really walk together and create something beautiful because I think we're at a point now where, you know, 
my people in general are so overrepresented in some really harsh statistics, but we're also losing so many youth suicide from all walks of life from not feeling like they belong or fit in or have a place in this world. And I just feel like the sooner we can come together and just come together in truth and honesty, you know, the sooner we can create something beautiful where young people and people in general can just truly be who they are and be set free in that and emancipated from, you know, the what they're living with in their mind or, you know, the feeling of I don't belong. And I just hope that my music and what it stands for and what it represents in coming together and whether it's like you're the voice or blending pop production, dance production, mainstream radio production with culture really sends a message of we can unify and we can come together and we can create something beautiful. And that's what I love the most about You're the Voice was there's a great message there that was so empowering and so true and so full of integrity. But then also the man behind the microphone was that as well. So for me, it was like, wow, this is, it was real. It's all real. It's incredible. And I hope that people feel that with me too, that I'm not just out here sending a message and I'm going home and I'm a jerk, that I'm trying my best in all my perfections to just to be to be a good man and a good father at the end of the day. Really well said, Mitch. Yeah, like there's some fantastic messages coming through there. And, um, you know, like Mitch, I just want to be the first to say uh, how much we appreciate you coming and joining us on the show. What's been really humbling for both Nige and I. Um, mate, I just wanted to say, like, you know, thank you so much, uh, you know, for your contribution today. I mean, like the listeners are going to love hearing this and you've really given us some, like, you know, given us some gold there. And um, it's, uh, there's some really poignant messages in, in there as well. And that goes beyond the song as well. So Mitch, can I just ask about whether or not, uh, do you think that you're the voice will be part of your repertoire for quite some time? I think it's, it's forever. Yeah, I, I thought so. But you yeah. know what? I think because I had, a real genuine interaction with John, um, I'm okay with that, you know. I, yeah. I don't feel like it's a song that I'll get tired of because I think if it if it's playing a role in upholding his legacy um, as such a great human being that he is, then I'm totally at peace with that. Um, if I met him and it was the opposite way, then I'd probably be like, oh, yeah. But you know what, he's a great guy. Um, he's done some great things in this world. And I just think anything that we can do to uphold such an incredible career and legacy for a genuinely great human being, then why not, you know? And from me, Mitch, I just would like to say before uh, we round off, it's been a total thrill to be able to talk to you. Uh, I was excited about doing this interview uh, because there's just something about your contribution to the story of You're the Voice that really strikes me as just like I said, that real stroke of genius. Um, and it's been a thrill talking to you, but it's been a greater pleasure to listen to you. Oh, thank you very much. No, I really appreciate uh, you guys for including me in the narrative and um, the story of such an iconic album and song. Um, yeah, it's pretty surreal when, when I get hit up to talk and, and be threaded into such an incredible career and narrative. I'm like, oh, well, I'm actually... Uh, Actually, yeah, I did sing it in my language and uh, I guess it did go all right. We're talking about something and, and you were saying that uh, uh, one of the things, you're the voice didn't really mean anything to you when you were a teenager. Um, and I wanted to say that um, there is such a difference between hearing something and listening to something. 100%. And, you know, and just, yeah, and, and that's what I mean about it's been an absolute pleasure to listen to you today. 
Um, and in closing, Mitch, um, before or as we say farewell, yes. can I ask you please to teach us how we would express gratitude and thanks in Gamilare as we do say thank you and farewell to you? Yeah, sure. I mean... A great word, I guess, that we all sort of say is um, gabunginda, and that's kind of a way to say thank you, or some people say maraba, um, but I tend to say gabunginda. Um, and one of the ways in which we could say see you later today is gualiyila, which means talk soon. Gualiyila. Yeah. yeah. Gualiyila. Yes. And there's kind awesome. of three ways in which we say see you. There's yalu, which means again, and that kind of means I'll feel you, I'll smell you, I will see you again. Um, Gwaliyila's talk soon, and then there's one that I always say, which is Yenayungali, which is like going and returning. Um, so they all have that essence of of how we would say see you later, I suppose. Yeah, that's a perfect conclusion. Thank you. Absolutely. So yeah, Mitch, again, thank you so much for your time. I don't know what the future holds for us, and as far as podcasting, etc. But um, I am. There's there's no genius in me suggesting that uh, I think you're going to have a long, healthy and successful career. And um, in any way, should we continue podcasting and things like that, um, it would be a real treat to get back in touch with you in a couple of years, see sure. how, how things are progressing and, and what evolves over the next few years. We've got the 40th anniversary in a few years of Whispering Jack and... Uh, yeah, uh, it would be a great this space. great time to reconnect yeah. in preparation for yeah. that. Should that opportunity be there? For sure. Now, look, I'd love to, and um, you know, I hope I didn't come across like I was disrespecting this dog when I said, you know, as a teenager, it didn't mean no, anything. no, 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 not at all. What I mean, it just is what it is. But um, you get older, and when you immerse something, like you said, when you listen, um, that's when the learning can really happen. So, no, thanks, guys. Really appreciate your time, and um, thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you, Mitch. Wally, you love, fellas. Take care. (laughs) Thanks, Mitch. See you, mate. See you around. He's the voice, guys. This is Mitch Tambo, folks.